Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. You've, thank you for the beauty of music. Wow. Thank you for the beauty of creation. And pray now that you, by the Holy Spirit, show us the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So on this Resurrection Sunday, the question is this. Is the resurrection true or is it wishful thinking? I've had the opportunity of getting to know a man in the last couple of years who was always positive, always upbeat. The glass is always not only halfway full, but overflowing. And I asked his wife one time, I said, why is he so upbeat? And he says, well, in his world, Auburn wins all of their football games and the Republicans win all the general elections. He's a big Auburn fan. And that's called wishful thinking. Auburn does not win all their football games. The Republicans do not win all their general elections. Wishful thinking. Confession. I love chocolate. And I have been told by various people, I've even read studies that say that dark chocolate is like eating vegetables. (laughs) Therefore, in my mind, I'm thinking I can eat a lot of dark chocolate and maybe milk chocolate, maybe chocolate with some nuts thrown in, and I can forego the three cardboard-tasting vegetables that I just despise, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, and cauliflower. But that's wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Every morning, I drink tea out of a tumbler. Every morning. And on the side of this tumbler says, the best dad ever. And I drink it. It's wishful thinking. I'll tell you why. My children didn't give me that. I bought that myself. (laughs) So I sit there and go, yeah, that's me, man. That's me. (laughs) Wishful thinking. So is the cross wishful thinking or is it the resurrection wishful thinking or is it truth? Is the resurrection wishful thinking or is it merely a coping mechanism? I run to the funeral of a believer. Oftentimes, I will quote one of the most well-known and loved poems in the English language by an Anglican named John Donne, a pastor. Death be not proud, though many have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For thou whom thou thinkest over, you overthrow, die not, poor death, nor canst thou kill me. And then he ends it by saying, one short sleep and we wake up in eternity, and death thou shalt die. And he bases that poem on the glorious statement of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, because of the empty tomb, death has lost its sting, and the grave has lost its victory. Is it merely a coping mechanism? This week I read about, with horror, this ferry that went down off the coast of South Korea. There were 350 students, 16-year-old students, 17-year-old students going on a four-day holiday before they came back and they crammed for an exam that would place them in different universities in South Korea. And of the 350 students on that, or 350, yes, 250 we think have died. And the vice principal in charge of that trip uh, was spared and he came back and two days after he got back, he took his life at the place where the parents were being told their children were dead. And he left this note. He said, please hold me responsible for all of this. I pushed for the school excursion. Cremate my body, 
and spread my ashes over the ship sinking site. I may become a teacher again in the afterlife for the students whose bodies have yet to be found. Close quote. So he's writing from a Buddhistic mindset that says, you know, in the next life, in the afterlife, I'll come back maybe as a teacher and I'll have the privilege of teaching those who are buried in this watery grave. It's a coping mechanism. And I would say that's based upon not factual evidence. When we step back and we say that Jesus is risen, we're saying it's grounded in reality. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes this statement, and he's writing this 15 to 25 or 30 years after the resurrection. And it's, the first part of this passage is almost like a, a newspaper account. It's just factual. Later in the chapter, he's up beating the breast, singing for joy. But this is what he says. Now, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. For I declare to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the Twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. He says, the reality of the resurrection is seen by the apostles, by 500 men, most of them are still alive. That's not, if it was just, if it were 30 years, and that's the max after the resurrection this was written. I thought about my life 30 years ago. Our life, 30 years ago, 1984. I thought about the month of November. November of 1984, the sitting president, Ronald Reagan, ran against Walter Mondale, and it was a landslide. Reagan won every state in the Electoral College except for Minnesota. 1984, November, my son was born. I remember that very well. Eight days later, I'm holding that little baby, watching a football game. Some of you remember. Boston College versus Miami. Boston College had a quarterback named Doug Flutie. He was about 5'8", at the most. Four seconds to go, Boston College is down four points, playing against Miami, 45 to 41 at that point. Doug Flutie, the last play of the game, runs out of the pocket. He's 65 yards from the end zone. He, he heaves the ball. There are wind gusts blowing in his face at up to 30 miles an hour. The coaches said, don't worry about the end zone. He can't possibly throw it that far. The ball goes over the outstretched arms of the Miami defenders, and it lands in the arms of a receiver from Boston College. Final play, Boston College wins. Unbelievable. One of the greatest games I've ever seen. That's 30 years ago. I remember it well. And Paul is saying the same thing. Go see these men. Go see these men and understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is fact. Understand historically that these rough and rugged fishermen, these apostles, went to their death or into exile with these words on their lips. He is Lord because he's risen from the dead. And they, had, they, they could have evaded death or exile or persecution by merely saying, it's a hoax. And realize that the next generation that was tutored by these eyewitnesses were persecuted heavily. And they went to their death saying, He is Lord because He's risen from the dead. There's a man named Polycarp 
who died at the age of 86 or more in the year 155, Polycarp, was discipled by and mentored by John the Apostle, one of the chief disciples. So just one generation removed. And Polycarp, as an old man, was brought before the Roman authorities. And he, they said, you must say Caesar is Lord. He said, I can't. And the man who was investigating him said, if you do not say that, we will burn you at the stake. And he says, you know, the fire you have is but for a moment. But the fire of hell lasts forever for those who are unrepentant and unrighteous. And the man laughed and he said, just say Caesar is Lord. And Polycarp said, for 80 and 6 years. My Lord and Savior has been faithful to me. How can I now blaspheme the name of my Savior and my King? Do what you will. And they burned him at the stake, 86 years old or more. And he died with this cry upon his lips, Jesus is Lord because he's risen from the dead. It is true. So let me mention a couple of areas regarding this issue. The first is that this is a fact versus what I call vogue spirituality. There's a spirituality that's, that's kind of throughout our culture that is, is self-referential and it's undefinable and it's in vogue. That's why I call it vogue spirituality. For example, there's a woman named Marianne Williamson. I've picked up a couple of her books and tried to read them and she's a very bright, articulate, attractive woman. She's 62-ish. She's running for Congress in California. And she says that she's elected as a congresswoman. She will push hard for another cabinet-level position in the U.S. cabinet, the presidential cabinet, called the Department of Peace. So that's, that's her, her platform. She's written, she sold three million books. And recently she said this, and, and just, it's just a short paragraph. It's from a book called The Course in Miracles. And I'll, I'll just read this. Listen. This is the the new Vogue spirituality. The concept of a divine or Christ mind is the idea that at our core, we are not just identical, but actually we are all the same being. Christ is a psychological term, and accepting the Christ is merely a shift in self-perception. We awaken from the dream that we are finite, isolated creatures and recognize that we are all glorious, infinitely creative spirits, close quote. I've read that a ton of times. I don't know what that means. And I'm not trying to make light. It's, it's just it's self, self-referential. It's, it's undefinable. It's, Christ is just a psychological term. And then there's the man named Rob Bell, another example, who's a pastor from the Midwest for years. And the last few years he's written a couple of books that show him departing from what I would call bedrock Christian truth. And he was recently on the Oprah Winfrey show. And Oprah says to him, can you please define God? And here's a man who's been trained as a pastor who's taught the Bible. This is what he says. God is like a song you hear in another room, and you think, wow, that sounds beautiful, but you can only hear it a little bit, close quote. Now, I, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and think that he's, he's trying to reach a broad audience of people that are kind of thinking about the concept of God, and he's trying to... I, I don't, if I were on the Oprah Winfrey show, and I haven't been asked yet, I'm, I'm waiting. And my, my, I'm waiting. I'm checking my email every day. But if, if she were to say to me, and, she's, and she is an incredibly empathetic, kind woman, 
And if she were to say to me, could you please define God? I would just read part of John 1. You can't improve on this. And this passage in John is profound enough for scholars to write books that hold open massive doors and it's simple enough for a third grader to understand in Sunday school. Listen, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And I say, you know, I say, Oprah, in the beginning was Jesus eternally with the Father. And this eternal God made the heavens and the earth. It's a wild story, but hang on, it gets better. And in the fullness of time, this eternal God was encapsulated in a baby and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and rose victorious over death. Man, it's a wild story, but it's true because the tomb is empty. And this passage says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of a man, but of God. And you know, we can have a personal relationship with a God who is not because of our ethnicity, not because of our socioeconomics, not because of our parental heritage, but because God is good and God loves us in Christ. You see, that's, that's, that passage is profound enough to, to, to swim in and is shallow enough for a child to, to understand. Behold the simplicity of the gospel. He's risen. He's risen. The second issue I'd say is that the, the centrality of the resurrection as a historical event is central to what we believe versus the leap of faith. It's interesting that if you study the New Testament in, in the day of the Lord, if you walked around behind Christ, you'd have seen him walk on water. You would have seen him say, peace be still. And a massive tsunami type of storm became nothing more than a spring day. You would, you would have seen him feed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. You would have seen him give sight to the blind and, and the ability for the deaf to hear and for atrophied legs to all of a sudden stand up and walk. You, you would have seen him raise the dead. And yet the generation around him said, we, 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 want, we want another sign. We want another sign. And Jesus said, here's the ultimate sign. Here's the ultimate sign. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will be the Son of Man. And on the third day, he will rise again. That's the ultimate sign. Because Christ is risen, the cross is effectual. See, in, in Romans chapter 1, it says he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Because of his resurrection, it affirmed everything he said and he did. And it affirmed that the cross has the power to save men and women outside of our relationship with God. Paul goes to a place called the Areopagus outside of Athens. This is the chief philosophical disputation ground in that part of the known world. Great thinkers went there and just had open dialogue, a very heady experience. And if you go to the Areopagus in Paul's day, there were thousands of 
statues to gods, all types of gods. And it says that as Paul walked among all those statues and all those sacrificial places, that he was deeply disturbed in his spirit. And so he goes before them and he gives an address in this idea marketplace. And he says, I commend you for reaching out to the God who is. And I'm going to declare to you the definitive understanding of the God who is and the God who is eternal and unchanging. This is what he says. Now this God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now it's interesting here. This is just an opening salvo in a disputation he's going to have with people. He doesn't give them everything. But he says, I want you to understand one salient fact. This is the man who will judge the living and the dead. And God has shown with power that he is Messiah King by raising him from the dead. The resurrection is an invitation to hope and joy for all who do not know Christ. And it is a glorious affirmation of hope and joy for those of us who do know him. And so the Christian faith is based upon a historical event. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. Now, years ago, there was a movie called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, or Great Crusade. Let's see, Harrison Ford. So Indiana Jones, in this movie, he has Indiana Jones Sr. Is, being, is played by the incomparable Sean Connery. You just don't get any better than Sean Connery. And Sean Connery is dying, and there's a magic cure on the other side of, of a chasm, and the chasm is deep, and it has no bottom. There it is. And there, there's his feet. His feet are right there. He says, he says you know, I've got to get to the other side. And, and, and his father keeps saying, you've got to have faith, Indy. You've got to have faith. And so Indy has this book, and he says, it takes a leap of faith. And so he closes his eyes, and he puts all of his weight forward, and you know what happened? He hits a board. He hits a board. And then he walks across this chasm on a board that was unseen, and he takes some dirt and he throws it on it, and there's a, a, a walkway that you cannot see with your eye, but it's called the leap of faith. I've heard people say, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's a terrible example. That's horrible. It's horrible. Now, now there are things about the character of God and his triune glory that no man will ever be able to fully understand. I, I believe that. But the Christian faith begins with not a blind leap, but a statement saying the tomb is empty. Therefore, I've got to deal with the reality of who Christ is. The tomb is empty. It's empty. It's not a leap of blind faith. It is a step saying because the tomb is empty, I must deal with who Jesus is. He was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. I'm not going to have time to go to Ephesians, but I want to read Ephesians and say all these things, adoption, inheritance, forgiveness, reconciliation, hope, inheritance. Again, in that passage is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. That's why it's an affirmation of hope and joy. See, it's not a leap of faith. It's a step saying, I believe Jesus is risen from the dead. There's a man that uh, is very, very dear to me. He lives in another state. And we've prayed for each other's children for years. He's become a very good friend. 
I called him this week. He's been going through some very hard times. And uh, I said, how's it going? He said, well, I'm doing okay, but let me tell you what's breaking my heart. He has a 20-some-year-old son. His son has grown distant to the family, has refused to go to church with his mom and dad, refused to study scripture. And he said, I sat him down last week and I said, man, what's going on in your life? He said, I, dad, I just don't know what I believe about Jesus. And he said, and I, I remembered, he said, I remember the quote that, that you give all the time, and I do, it's by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, who became a Christian age 32 as an Oxford professor, wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in that book, he said, Basically, he says, don't, don't come to me with the nonsense that many people say to me that Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God in the flesh. He said, a good teacher does not say the things that Jesus said unless they're true. In fact, if you, and when you consider the statements of Jesus, either he is Lord, liar, or lunatic. Those are the options. Either he is Lord, and if he is, we bow and we worship him. Or he is a liar. Or he is a lunatic on the level of a man who says, I am a poached egg. So he said, I sat down with my son. I said, I, I gave him that quote. And I said, do you think he's Lord? He said, Dad, I, I just don't, I don't know. He said, do you, do you think he's a liar? He says, well, no, I don't think he's a liar. So do you think he's a lunatic? He says, well, you know, maybe, maybe he operated under this delusional psychosis. He said, it broke my heart. And I thought, man, if I'd been there, I said, let's tease that out. So this man, Jesus, had a delusional psychosis. The apostles had the same psychosis. The women who went to the empty tomb had the same psychosis. The same 500 men in 1 Corinthians 15 had the same delusional psychosis. That's what you call drinking the Kool-Aid all over the Middle East. Lord, liar, or lunatic. He's risen. It's just simple. He's risen. When you study the world religions and you travel, every world religion could have as its symbol, every offshoot of every world religion could have his symbol, his symbol of uh, uh, scales. Balancing scales. And, and, and the concept is that if your bad deeds outweigh your good, you're a goner. But hopefully your good deeds will outweigh your bad, and somehow you'll be accepted in the presence of the God who is whatever his name might be or her name might be. The symbol for the Christian faith is the cross, an empty cross, because Jesus died on the cross and was buried and the tomb is empty because he rose victorious and he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father and one day he'll bring history to a close. But the cross declares that God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. That we were separated from a holy God and Christ was our substitute upon the cross. He is the Lamb of God from the Old Testament Prefigured by the Old Testament sacrificial system, he takes away the sin of the world. Behold the glory of the cross. Behold the wonder of the empty tomb. He is Lord. The Buddha, who was a great man, who died in 483 B.C. in present-day Nepal, 
on his deathbed, Siddhartha Gautama said to his followers, he said, work hard to gain your own salvation. That's it. That's what Islam teaches. Hinduism, Baha'i, the Sikhs, the offshoots, work hard, earn your salvation. The Christian faith says, behold the glory of the cross. Behold the wonder of the empty tomb. Thanks be to God. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer on this wonderful Easter day. Please. Lord, we thank you for the glory of Christ and the hope that is ours because the tomb is empty. Thank you that as we look at Scripture, as we look at the men and women who went to their death with the cry, He is Lord because He's risen from the dead, that it is not wish fulfillment. It is true. That, that it is not merely a coping mechanism. It's based on the reality of history. So God, I just pray we declare that message to ourselves every day. Declare that to our family and our friends. Declare that to our neighborhoods. Declare that to the ends of the earth. Blessed be your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.